Hello and welcome to another edition of the Business Masterclass podcast from Love Wimbledon Business Improvement District and Merton Chamber of Commerce. I'm Craig Hurring, Chief Executive of Love Wimbledon. This is the third episode in a series of exclusive masterclasses we have developed for businesses to discover tangible solutions to some of their most pressing current business challenges. Wimbledon is, of course, home of the Wombles, the original reusing and recycling heroes. So in this edition, we assembled some new environmental heroes to discuss immediate but meaningful impacts businesses can make to improve their sustainability credentials. Our succeeding in sustainability event took place during Sustainable September, and we were thrilled to be hosted by Wimbledon's other famous residents, the All England Lawn Tennis Club. Our guest speakers were Hattie Park, Sustainability Manager of the All England Club, Alex Wolfe, Chief Operating Officer of Romulus, and Alex Hughes, the founder of Auxilium Business Consulting. The event inspired a fascinating Q&A, so we've included it in full this time. So do stay listening right the way through to the end. I do hope you enjoy this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. So that brings me to our first speaker this morning, uh, Hattie Park. Hattie is the sustainability manager at Wimbledon. She leads the environment positive strategy for them. She's an environmental sustainability specialist with 15 years experience delivering and developing corporate sustainability strategies. At Wimbledon, she's involved in everything from integrating sustainability within long-term regeneration plans to delivering championship-specific initiatives. She joined the All England in 2019 after nine years as the sustainability manager at the BBC. Welcome, and over to you, Hattie. Um, Morning, and welcome to Wimbledon. Thank you very much for giving me the chance to talk about you. I thought what I would do is just give you an overview of what we're doing here in terms of sustainability and talk to you about our environment positive aim. And our starting point for that was when I arrived, uh, we were talking about reducing our impact on the environment. And when you think about, you know, the climate crisis, the nature crisis, simply reducing isn't really enough. So we moved from Um, aiming that what we want to do is to have an advocate for a positive impact on the environment. And so that means focus... So we we sort of came up with a plan which involves focusing our efforts on four uh, distinct but really interconnected areas. So we are looking at emissions, uh, which is obviously around addressing climate change, biodiversity resource efficiency uh, and also arguably the biggest impact that an organization or a sports event can have is using our influence to inspire wider action so just to give you a what does this look like in practice for us here at Wimbledon so give a few examples so in terms of emissions we set a target for 2030 to be net zero for our operations so those are the emissions which are directly within our control But also, we signed up to something called the UN Sport for Climate Action Framework, which is an international group of loads and loads of different sports organisations under the UN umbrella, where we've also committed to being net zero across 
everything by 2040. So we've kind of got a two-stage uh, target. Um, to give you examples, so particularly for focusing our own emissions, um, there's lots of stuff that you don't necessarily see because it's going on behind the scenes. Uh, obviously, you know, what you want to do is um, kind of eliminate your use of fossil fuels where you can. So we buy renewable electricity. So the next thing for us, it, well, and what you need to do is be much more efficient with it. So it's, it's really investing in energy efficiency. And actually, since 2019, um, our gas use has gone down. We've cut our gas use by about 24% and electricity use by about 14%. So we're tracking it as well. And so the energy efficiency is things like mothballing parts of the site. This is a really sort of distributed site, loads of, you know, buildings of different ages. And so the estate management team are working really hard to kind of mothball areas when we're not using them during the championships. We've, we generate some of our own electricity. So during the championships, I can stand on top of the media pavilion roof and point to the solar panels that we've got there. But really, um, we won't ever be able to generate enough on site for our needs. So, we, so it's important that we keep buying the renewables. And then the big thing for us is to eliminate, and it's a big challenge for all of us as individuals and organisations, is eliminate gas, um, which, is a, which we use for cooking, heating and hot water, and that's a big component of our footprint. So, you know, when we refurbished uh, number one court, the kitchens there are electric, so there, are, there isn't gas equipment in the kitchens. And basically this building, Centre Court now, is next on our hit list, so we're working out a plan for how we can decarbonise Centre Court so the get the gas out of the kitchen so there's a big project to you know audit all of the kitchens and the cooking equipment the chefs are all on board which is good news I think part of it as well is around getting the people that are working with you on board so you know that's part of it for for emissions but also you know you incur emissions food is a is a big uh, feature of the championships it's also has uh, an environmental footprint so this year during the championships we were indicating on the menus for all of the guest groups which the low co2 dish was on the menus and then um, going on from that if you scanned a qr code it would give you detail of the carbon weighting uh, of all of the dishes on the menu and the point for that was to give guests choice to involve them in the journey uh, and, and hopefully encourage people to perhaps try the lower carbon dish. And then from our point of view as well, it gives us really valuable information for when we're planning menus for next year. So, you know, thinking about food is, is a really important part of it as well. Resource efficiency, that's anything from construction projects to, you know, during the championships, a lot of my life is about looking in the bins. You know, I try to sort of think strategically year round and then championships, I'm looking, fishing things out of one bin, sort of seeing how people are interacting. You know, is it clear that the, the, the which is general waste, which is, which is mixed recycling? But in terms of construction, we, we have got a, a newish building on site, the Technology Services Room, which is a championship-specific building which was designed and constructed in such a way that it can be lifted and shifted and dismantled, so keeping the resources used in its construction in use. And then what we try to do, championships, is promote a reuse culture. So uh, for the past few years, we've been serving all of the drinks in reusable cups, and that 
you know, it, it's, it's kind of trying to say to people, you know, let's get away from single use, let's promote a culture of reuse. And, and we introduced a deposit the second year round that we did it. And, and so there's also a very nice benefit that you can redeem your deposit at the bar if you return your cup, but also you can donate your, if you pop your cup in a, in a return point, that pound goes to the Wimbledon Foundation. And so the foundation benefits, it was about, you know, super generous guests at Wimbledon, about £130,000 go to the foundation, which then obviously benefits lots of local uh, community organisations here in Wimbledon. Um, biodiversity, again, you know, such an essential ingredient of the Wimbledon Championships. We present tennis in an English garden, we use a living surface. I think if we can do anything to help people kind of connect with nature a little bit when they come to the grounds. The planting, I think, really adds to the experience. Um, we've got the living wall on the side of number one court, which is a gorgeous backdrop for watching the tennis, but also planted with flowering plants to encourage pollinators. The players have a beautiful uh, wildflower bank by their practice courts. Um, you know, our Wimbledon Park as well, our plans for that site, will, we've done a huge amount of ecological due diligence about how we can unlock a measurable biodiversity gain there. So that's really exciting plans for the future. And, you know, I, th I think it's something about helping people to form that connection. You know, there's a bug hotel in the queue for, for as people go by. We've got bees at our community uh, sports ground in Rains Park. And, and then finally, in terms of, you know, using our influence to inspire wider action, I think, you know, each year we've been doing a few different things. And I think that what I talked to you about with the QR code for the menus is one way of giving people information, involving them, you know, give choice and information and education. We had a sustainability area in the grounds in 2019, uh, which was a kind of education space. And it was great to do that. And... Uh, but you probably only knew about that if you were part, if you came to the championships and if you were passing. Uh, so in 2021, we really tried to do a bit more with them with our media partners, and we're really lucky that we have great support from the media partners. So we worked together with the COP26 team and the BBC and the Met Office, and put together a little film which was played out during the day. And also the Met Office did a forecast about how climate will affect climate change will affect the event. And I mean, you know, they were talking on that. Uh, so this was done in 2021, talking about temperatures in the 40s in 2050. Now this we were already experiencing the, that the next year. So, you know, it, it just goes to show how urgent this is and how much we all need to do. But you know, so that was going out on the media. We also, in 2020, and we, we had an environment day. 2022, I thought, well, you know, every day is environment day as far as we're concerned. You don't have to just show up at Wimbledon on environment day to try the low CO2 dishes, bring your reusable cup, recycle. So we tried then to go out with a campaign to guests. So in your Wimbledon Awaits email, there's something saying, you know, be an environment positive champion, tell us what you're doing. And their tips on the website about things that everyone can do. So it's providing information. Uh, and then um, I'm nearly out of time now. This year, we held for the second year uh, an environment positive panel discussion where we invited some, some quite sort of well-known people with a view that, 
you know, that wasn't, a, that wasn't about talking about what Wimbledon are doing. That is because we have the chance during the championships to have a, have, a, have a platform, really, where we can convene and bring people together and hopefully attract the media into a conversation about sport and climate with the aim that we want to sort of propel that conversation out into the mainstream. Because, you know, I, I love my job. Being a sustainability manager is amazing. I spend a lot of time talking to people who do the same job as me. What we really need to do is get this conversation out more broadly. And so, you know, we had Gary Lineker, Seb Coe, we had Heather Watson, we had Suzanne Pettersen, who captains the women's Solheim golf golf. Solheim Cup golf team, Hannah Mills, an amazing sailor, and they were all talking about, you know, how sport is has this amazing opportunity to inspire, engage, bring about change, and um, you know, we got we got a bit of media pick up from that. Could have done with more, could have pushed it further, but you know, I think each year we try to go one step further, and 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 do as much as we can. So I think that's kind of my ten minutes. I think. You know, what, what's really worked for us is setting a goal, calling it environment positive, I think has been really helpful because, you know, you, you want to be part of something that hopefully is going to deliver a positive outcome rather than, you know, come with me and we're going to reduce our impact. Instead, come with me and we're going to make a, we're going to be positive, we're going to make a change. So I think that's been really good and we've been very lucky to have the support from the board and, and the two chief executives I've worked under have really got behind this. So I think that's another thing is if, if you guys are leading your organisations, you know, just sell it, you know, lead it from the, from the front um, has been really good. Thank you. Our next panellist is Alex Wolfe. Um, Alex is the Chief Operating Officer of Romulus, uh, a Southwest London-based property company. And since uh, 2021, the new owners of what has been known for many, many years as Centre Court Shopping in Wimbledon Town Centre. I'm sure most of you know that uh, Centre Court is currently in the midst of a spectacular transformation programme and repositioning away from its original high street mall model into something that offers something that's much more appropriate for the town centres of today. So retail, experiential, office space, hospitality, a rooftop farm, I'm sure we're going to hear a bit about that. Um, Alex started his career as a growth consultant and had a big impact on the launch and development of a co-working brand called Huddle in 2018, which will also feature in this development. Uh, with a long-term hands-on approach and a strong emphasis on local communities and the environment. Alex, uh, thanks for being here today and would you like to say a few words please? Good morning, thanks Craig for those very kind words. Um, I wanted to share some perspectives today, not from the position of an expert like uh, Alex and Hattie, but as um, a, a business who's locally trying to tackle some of these incredibly important challenges. I um, wanted to start this very quickly with a brief touch on who Romulus are, what we're doing, what we're trying to do at Centre Courts. Um, we're a family business based just up the road in Fulham. Um, we take a particularly long-term approach when it comes to how we deal with the kind of mixed-use assets, assets we're trying to reposition, and the neighbourhood and community is really important to that. So those are some elements I'm going to try and bring through in the next few minutes. Um, as Craig pointed out, we recently acquired Centre Court Shopping Centre, obviously not to be confused with the Centre Court here, and actually we're going through a kind of rebranding process at the moment that should get rid of some of that confusion. Um, for us, one of the things that's really important in terms of sustainability and what it means for us as a business is taking a really long-term view working closely with and involving partners in local communities, whether those businesses that 
rent space within our centres, whether it's the customers who then shop in those businesses or whether it's other local charities and partners. Um, and it's also really important for us when we think about actually how we reposition and reinvest in those buildings, how we carry out construction development work in the right kind of way to make sure that it also recognises the kind of environmental, the important things behind that and we retain buildings wherever possible. There's two areas really when it comes to what we're doing at Centre Court Shopping Centre that I really wanted to touch on today. The first of those is the sustainability in the development and the construction works that we've been carrying out over the last two years and which will finish over the next few months. Um, the first area of that is really when it comes to the overall approach to how we treat the buildings themselves. So when Centre Court was sold two and a half years ago, the, the plans on, and the basis on which it was planned to be sold was that you would demolish everything that's currently there and that you would build large, new, probably residential towers on the site. And as soon as we looked at it, that seemed to us like a nonsense, not just from an environmental perspective, but also from a viable and viability perspective as well. And so our overall approach has been to keep the buildings that are there, and we're just approaching the end of a project which involves repositioning those buildings, keeping almost all of the existing structure, but improving, opening out, reinvigorating, and adding life to those spaces. And we actually did a study which we recently completed with the engineers Arup that looked at the difference between keeping the buildings versus knocking them down and essentially that results in 5,000 tonnes of carbon that's been saved from that and you know I'm going to touch on a lot of other initiatives that we've done which I think are great over that period of time as well but nothing will ever have as close to having as much impact as that first initial decision not to demolish that building um, and so that kind of initial approach is, is really important and something that I wanted to bring out um, within this these next few minutes. Um, the other areas when it comes to the construction works itself is also in terms of how we try and recycle the materials. So all of the elements, particularly the old Debenhams that have been stripped out and have been removed, have been recycled and haven't gone to landfill. We've also tried to select materials that are responsibly sourced. So all the wood and timber that we've used, for example, comes from responsible sources. And where we have brought in small amounts of new structural steel work, that has a high amount of kind of recycled content as well to that. And so that selection and recycling materials is obviously really important and an important part of how we try and reposition the building in the right way. The second area I wanted to touch on, and the one that actually now becomes more and more important as we look to the future of what comes next at Centre Court, is what happens with sustainability in relation to the operation of the centre itself. And so that's how we use less energy. And so we have um, introduced a new sliding roof that will sit over the courtyard, for example, that means that we can use natural ventilation and fresh air rather than mechanical ventilation to heat the centre. We have gone through a similar project of removing all our gas boilers from the centre as well in terms of energy we provide. We've also moved towards having green supplies of energy for the whole of the centre um, as we've moved things forward. The next side of things, again, goes back to going through those bins. And so when it comes to waste, there's been an awful lot that we've been looking at. We obviously have on-site recycling, but one of the first things we introduced was composting as well throughout the centre. Um, and we currently compost. All, all the food waste now is composted at Centre Courts. But one of the big things we're looking to try next year is actually to do some on-site composting. So we have a new vegan restaurant, Mildred's, who've recently signed up to take some space. And we have the benefit of actually because they're all plant-based materials, we can compost that on site and then use that in the rooftop farm, which leads me on to the next area, which is the kind of biodiversity side of things. And so one of the small projects we've, we've started on the roof and one we look to, are looking to grow and expand is opening a small rooftop farm. So the honey comes from the bees, 
We also have a mushroom farm that takes used coffee grounds from local cafes and local restaurants. We then grow but currently um, oyster mushrooms off those, and the idea is we sell those back to local cafes, restaurants, and also customers who live locally in Wimbledon. And the idea is we create a supply chain free local business whose ingredients come locally and what we sell back then also is provided locally, which means that there's kind of no, no shipping, no kind of long carbon requirements to that. And that's, you know, the rooftop farm is one element, but we actually think there's a lot of other kind of local businesses that can do similar things. Um, so those are the two kind of fundamental directions we've been looking at. Um, I think one of the things I wanted to also highlight is the importance of these initiatives, these sustainability initiatives, not just in terms of what they add to the environment, but actually to, to the benefit they add to a business directly themselves. So fundamentally, as, as well as obviously reducing the carbon that's burnt, reducing the amount of energy, moving towards more efficient use of things, recycling materials, fundamentally is a huge reduction in terms of the cost of a business. Particularly in challenging times at the moment, being able to minimize the cost that both we incur, but also the costs that we charge to our tenants who rent space off us is really, really important and a fundamental piece for us, the business. And actually, if we can do both of those at the same time, that provides a win-win for us and our customers and for the planet. The second side is more when it comes to when we move away from the cost and actually think to the revenue side as well, which is that it's incre increasingly important for us as a business to be able to attract new companies to Centre Court to be able to have strong environmental and sustainability cred credentials. And so the ability for us to do so makes a huge difference. So, and, and these initiatives are no longer things that we're just doing because they're good for the environment, but frankly, we do them because it's critical for us as a business to do them. Um, and then the final area, actually, when I think in terms of the benefits for us of doing these things is when it comes to just motivating our employees and our team and actually doing these things that are the right things to be doing within the local community based on the long-term horizon, I think is hugely motivating for the team that we work with as well. And I just think those three points are worth, are worth highlighting. And then I, get, I just finally wanted to touch on some of the things that I think we have learnt out of these various things we've been looking at working through at Centre Court over the last two years. And frankly, some of the areas where I think there's things we could have improved on as well. Um, the first of these things, I think, is the importance of building early on into the business processes and the business systems the mechanisms of doing these early. We kind of built these things in as we were going. And I think looking back to the start now, particularly when you think about the areas of how you work with your supply chain and how you work with your customers and how you work with your staff, the ability to build into that way to reward and motivate your employees based on them carrying out activities that are good for the environment, sustainable. The idea of selecting um, contractors and suppliers and cleaning staff, and again, including within that environmental and sustainability criteria at, on day one is hugely beneficial to the whole process. Um, the second element that's somewhat related to that actually is also starting and trying to measure things as early as possible. And actually this apply, the example that's most applicable to this is actually how we've looked at things as a business for decades. You know, our approach has always been to try and retain buildings where possible, but we've never until recently started to really measure the impact that has. And it's been unbelievable the difference that that makes and obviously it's, we're delighted that we were doing that in the past. We didn't do a very good job of measuring it and understanding exactly what that benefit is. And the, the, the ability to measure it and do that, that means that you can make those iterative changes and improve the way you're doing it even more. Um, 
The other learning I want to touch on as well is the importance, I think, of trying to tie an approach towards sustainability in the environment to fundamentally what your business DNA and strategy is. So if I go back to the first point in terms of development, I mentioned how retaining the existing buildings did far more than any other, it's not, 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 not more than any other single initiative actually, but any more than any of the other initiatives combined has done in terms of reducing the amount of carbon. And the reason that was so effective is because it was very much aligned with what our approach was day one. And fundamentally, it was actually the easiest of these decisions to make. It was under, under, underlying that was the approach our business has always had. And I think that if you can align your approach to sustainability with what your business's strategy is, I think the ability to, to do things that have re, much larger impact is higher. Um, and then just finally, I think I wanted to touch on one of the really interesting things that I think that we've learned, and I in particular have learned when it comes to sustainability and thinking about how we've done things at Centre Court, is the importance, I think, of local networks and local relationships and local supply chains when it comes to creating both more resilient but also more sustainable um, ways of doing business in the community. And I think that um, the importance of having local partners, local customers, local suppliers, local tenants within a space fundamentally allows you to create a much greener, a much more sustainable ecosystem as a whole. And I think that you know, there's a huge opportunity for all of us as businesses here to work really closely together to try and deliver things like that in a kind of better and stronger ways going forwards. Uh, thank you very much. I'm happy to now um, introduce our third panelist, also an Alex, Alex Hughes. Alex is a local small business consultant. She founded her company, Auxilium Business Consulting, in 2017. She has a passion to show SMEs that sustainability should be at the core of their business and that it's achievable and that there are huge benefits. Having been on this journey herself for Auxilium, uh, she was awarded a silver accreditation from CSRA. Uh, she is well-versed in SME challenges to get started. She loves nothing more than watching businesses sow the seeds of sustainability, showing that it's all possible, laying the groundwork so that we have meaningful impacts um, that she can share to help everyone build a greener planet. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome and over to you. Thank you very much. Charlotte alluded to, um, I'm just a very small business, it's so small that it's just me. Um, and if I can do that and get on a sustainability journey, then so can everyone here. Um, I just wanted to start off by saying I'm sure there's lots of acronyms and, and terminology that you hear as a small business owner, and you're slightly daunted by what this actually means for yourself. So one of them might be the uh, acronym CSR corporate social responsibility. And when we hear that word as a small business owner, we hear the word corporate first of all, and we think to ourselves, what's that got to do with me? I'm just a small business owner. Uh, we have with us today Richard and Jennifer from CSRA, the accreditation body that I got my accreditation from. And Richard talks a lot about the C change. And what he means by that is that the C needs to be replaced by another word for other businesses. So that might mean company, it might mean charity, it might mean consumer, citizen, or community. But actually, every one of us is collaboratively um, responsible to start our journey um, and I think sometimes some of these things put people off but I think um, having a look at sustainability and, and, and working your way through it allows you to understand it. I think in 2002 
2021, there were 5.5 million SMEs around, according to the FSB. So if there's that many people who can start a change, we can actually make a huge difference. And I think we can make them faster. We own our business. We can decide what we want to do. We haven't got to go through lots of layers of red tape to, to get to the decision-making person. So my journey are, um, to started about three or four years ago when I attended a webinar that CSRA were um, holding. And it was really fascinating. They were talking about the four pillars. Um, they look at the four areas of environment, community, workplace, and philanthropy. And when you start looking at that as a small business, you realize you're doing an awful mo lot more than you thought. Um, and so following that webinar, I decided I was going to go on their training course. Um, at that time, I know it's quicker now. It was a six-week training course. It opened my eyes to a huge amount of things that I could do as a sole trader on my own. Um, I then collated all this information in those four pillars and I uh, submitted an accreditation and I was awarded a silver accreditation. I was expecting a bronze and I was delighted I got a silver um, and I've had it for about three years and I'm now going to uh, just about to renew it. Um, so I as a business owner now talk to a lot of people about sustainability so I'm a business consultant but sustainability for me is not something in a silo it's something that actually needs to be woven into everything you do in your business. Um, so I help small business owners start that journey. I I help them with a sustainability statement and then a roadmap of actions to get them started and get them moving along. Sustainability is a work in progress. We're never going to be completely sustainable, but we can work towards it and we can always make a difference. Um, so looking at those four pillars, environment, workplace, community and philanthropy, it could be anything from looking at your LED lighting, your, your utilities, your recycling. Are you donating? Are you helping a charity? Are you mentoring? Are you going to networking meetings? Are you looking at your banking and your green investments for your business? I mean, there's just so many things you could look at. Um, basically, um, as I um, talked about CSRA, that is an accreditation body you may not have heard of. It's now got about 150 accredited people in the UK and is going global as well. Uh, you've obviously probably heard of B Corp. That's uh, the biggest one. It's quite a long process, but nonetheless, uh, another accreditation. There's others. There's a local one in Hampton called Greenmark. There's also Planetmark, Zella, and obviously FSB have got their own good business charter. So there's lots of accreditations out there, and they are achievable for small business owners. I've got one, so can you. Um, the benefits of, of going through this process and looking at your sustainability and, and getting an accreditation are huge. Um, you attract the right clients, you can work with the right suppliers, um, you can attract employees who want to work with like-minded businesses and are attracted to your company for that's what they want for long term. You get a lot of media interest. Um, a lot of people have come to me recently because they've had trouble because they have uh, lost funding or lost tenders or haven't got on a preferred suppliers list or maybe haven't won an award because some of these application forms are anywhere between 10 and 20% of the application form. Now, sustainability is becoming quite a large part of these particular processes. So we all need to start looking at them. So I would urge you to sort of get out of the wilderness, if you like, of not knowing anything, to start researching, to start educating yourselves and move into that sweet spot of being able to talk to people about what you're doing within your business and within your industry. Um, my top tips for you today is if you don't do anything else, go away today and start looking at what you're doing. Start, start your decision-making process now. Start your journey now. Um, you can make those decisions. You're the business owner. Um, you obviously doing a lot more than you think and I will explain that in a minute because I did some research on some of you <laughs> and um, some of you guys are doing some great stuff um, so this research gives you a baseline from where you can start um, you can work together internally with your staff you can work with your clients and your suppliers you can lead the way and be visionary like these guys um, and as I say work with local firms do some mentoring do some um, uh, um, uh, 
engagement with other SMEs and ultimately getting accreditation for your business. Now, that's the icing on the cake. Um, and it's really important for someone outside to be starting to look in at your business. It's not you saying, well, I'm sustainable. Somebody has assessed you from an independent body like CSRA, like B Corp, like these others and said, yes, you are doing the right things and you fit the criteria. But my mission today is to tell you that you can get started, you can get accredited, and it's really important to, to start your journey. Um, the greatest threat to our planet is that someone else will save it. So we've got to start. We've got to do it ourselves. And sustainability is no longer about doing less harm. It's about doing more good, as far as I'm concerned. So if, if nothing else today, I would love you to go away and start thinking about your journey. It is possible. I have done it, so you can too. So that's everything from our three speakers. I'm sure you agree there was lots of really good stuff there. Now is your turn. So I'm sure you're all buzzing with questions and things that you want to talk to the two Alexes and to Hattie about. So um, please be as concise as you can. But if you've got any questions or remarks or thoughts about what you've heard today, we would love to hear from you. Um, we have a roving microphone in the room. There's Johnny. And uh, I was looking for your colourful jacket. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, has anyone got any questions? Hi, Alex. Um, I've got a question. You insisted on the fact that the building that you are using at the shopping centre are the building that are already in place, and you insisted on the efficacy of it. But I'm very surprised about that because all buildings are usually very cost incentive. You know, they, when you have repairs and so on in the in a, in a future, because they've not been built with the sustainability in mind. So how do you go about that? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a good question. I th the overall point, really, I think, is that, first of all, you know, the building was only built in 1990. So the overall centre isn't that old, older building. But the, the real point is there's huge amounts of concrete in particular within that building, and there's huge amounts of carbon embodied within that concrete. And when you look at how long it would take for a new building, even if it was slightly more efficient, to pay back the difference between the concrete that is within that building, which is lost when it's demolished, would take between two and 300 years. And modern buildings don't, aren't designed to last for two or 300 years. They're designed to last for about 60 or 70 years. And so there's very few examples where demolition is more sustainable than retaining a building. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't and don't need to still improve the building that's there. And so, you know, we've been going through a huge project of changing all the lighting to LED lighting and, to, you know, moving away from all the gas boilers to using heat pumps in the building, et cetera, et cetera. However, fundamentally, there's very, very few occasions where demolishing an old building is ever actually better than keeping um, a building in place. And unfortunately, that's been one of the things that has happened in, particularly in London over the last 20 or 30 years, is you've had these old, quite good buildings that have been demolished and new buildings replaced in their stead. And although those buildings are efficient operationally, they'll never last long enough, long, long enough to pay back the carbon that was embodied within the structures. Hi, Sally from Love Wimbledon. Our third aim at Love Wimbledon is to be greener and more sustainable. The process to deliver this has been both challenging and extremely positive. So this includes, um, on the positive side, that we've discovered that you can now get hair recycled, so we're offering this service to businesses. Our lamppost banners are now cool, funky beach bags. Our uniforms are now bunting. 
and probably most importantly, the Wombles are going to be on the piazza from Friday, the original eco-warriors of Wimbledon. And this week, to launch our sustainable market we got this weekend. Can each of the panel tell me what is the most fun and positive thing that you've discovered through your journey? And it can't be the Wombles. <laughs> I'd start. <laughs> uh, for me, it's about the community of people I've met along the way. Um, that might be the accreditation body, it might be other business owners, and how enthusiastic everybody is and how committed they are and how they want to make a difference. So for me, when I talk to someone who's absolutely aligned with what I'm saying, I get sparked up and very, very excited. So it's the community of people that I'm meeting locally and further afield. Same, I think. <laughs> Same. I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate to work here, but also so fortunate to work within sport and within sustainability. And we have this amazing network and we're always... So one of the nice... Again, I, I know how lucky I am, but I got, a, I got a personal tour of the Australian Open by video cam. So the, the guy who does the same job with, as me in Australia, yeah. I did a tour of Wimbledon over, over Teams and then he gave me a tour of the Australian Open. Even down to awful come back to the bins even down to the binyard he took me into the australian open binyard and it's really what i think is a really wonderful thing as exactly you're saying is that people who work in this field you want to share what you're doing you want to share what works what's been difficult because you know there is this all this overriding aim that you want to make a difference and have a positive impact I think from my perspective, again, it's kind of down that kind of sharing with, with others' side perspective. But um, one of the things that is particularly exciting from our perspective is that we have recently signed up a vegan restaurant to take some space within the centre. And one of the things that got them really excited about it was that they can build a dish off their menu that's going to be based solely based on ingredients that we're growing on the roof. And so the idea that others are beginning to buy into what probably is quite a mad idea um, but then showcasing it within their menu, I think is really exciting. Hello, so I'm Ellen Stringham, Deputy Leader of Merton Council, and we've declared a climate emergency. We're working towards being net zero in 2030, but we're realising just how expensive that is. So I've got a kind of trickier question after a nice positive question from Sally. You've given lots of examples of decisions that you've made that sound like they're mostly kind of cost neutral or even cost effective. I'd be really interested to hear about any decisions and actions you've taken that have costed more but that you've done because it's the right thing to do and how you rationalise that? I, mean, I could say, so there will definitely, we will need to invest, so definitely taking out the gas infrastructure in centre court and replacing that will come with a, with a cost and so we're working that through at the moment. It will be expensive but it has to happen at some point so let's just get on with it. I think on a, on a different level, the reusable cups, has been, that's come at a cost because uh, the, the, it's far cheaper to just get a single-use bit of plastic that, and chuck it away. It's just not the right thing to do. So investing in those reusable cups has been costly, both in terms of the resources, uh, the, the bigger teams, moving them around, more space needed behind the bars, um, a really simple, another thing that was a cost was years ago, I don't know if you remember, this has been a few years back, but the rackets used to go back to the players with a plastic bag on them. Oh, yeah. uh, and it just was awful. You'd see this new bag cut, racket come out, plastic bag ripped away. The racket stringers, it was much more easy for them to just stick them in the plastic bag. So we, we basically 
redesigned the whole stringers space. We gave them a bigger space so that they could, they could do it. And then, so, so there was a cost, but then the other Grand Slams followed suit, so it was another example of how something here had a little ripple effect. And it's, it's symbolic, I suppose. But yeah, there's, there's definite costs associated with it and some difficult conversations to come, I'm sure. For, for me, as a small business owner, again, investing in training, in webinars, in, in accreditations and things like that, it's an upfront cost for a small business owner, but I see it as a long-term investment and a long-term gain. So sometimes you have to spend money upfront in order to gain in the long term. So for me, I've had some investments to make. I'd similarly add both from a kind of the construction perspective, using the kind of better and right kind of materials and the better and right kind of construction methods is more expensive, but I think it goes back to the fact that, yes, the, co the cost side is, is one benefit, but also there are other benefits as well to your team and also in terms of you know, actually driving and attracting more customers that I think also mean that you, you know, have to recognize the fact that sometimes it is going to be more expensive. I think, I think another example, actually, operationally, is that you know, we made the decision that we should pay all of our team and all of our suppliers um, the London living wage, and that's something that you know, obviously is a direct cost to the business, but also fundamentally, I think, is, some, is the right thing to be doing. And I think it's just trying to balance those different pressures. Hi, um, I'm Nicola Ryman from Wimbledon School of English. I've got a practical question, which might involve people from the floor as well. From several years, I understand they've been trying to pass on computers. And everywhere we go, nobody wants the computers if they're over three years old. I mean, these are effectively desktop computers. Many of our students, of course, they do come from all over the world. I admit we've got a high carbon footprint because they fly in, but they bring their laptops, their tablets, etc. And I used to volunteer with um, a charity and even the uh, education charity, and they don't want the, desk, uh, the, the desktops. Does anybody know where we can... We are trying to get rid of and donate these things. Does anybody know where we can do this? I don't, I don't know if they do computers, but there's a company, I think you might know them for, Genuine Solutions. I know they do laptop, uh, and, uh, phones and things like that, but they may know someone. It's such a waste. Yeah. It's such a waste. Yeah. yeah. We just told to put them. them in the landfill. I mean... Uh, just Nicola as well. We, we use a um, green waste company called First Mile, and we do a free uh, collection of small electrical goods a quarter, once a quarter for all businesses in Wimbledon. Uh, so we can, they dispose of them in the most sustainable way possible, and where they can, they um, update, upgrade, and resell them as well. Um, but they do provide that service for free, so I can give you more information on that. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is Marcus from Harnham, and we um, we've had some pushback lately, trying to initiate some measures such as buying renewable energy, and because of the current climate, financially, the decision has been no. We would rather not spend the extra £3,000 this year. So I suppose the question is, you've touched on it a little bit already, of the benefits of doing things, but how do you try and persuade your board of directors? Or how might you go about that um, when trying to secure these initiatives? I suppose you, you have to try and sell the benefits. I think you have to do it in partnership with... It may, if there is an upfront additional cost for the renewable electricity what can you do in terms of energy efficiency so you're using less? Um, you know, at Wimbledon, I've found that sort of aligning things with our values, you know, this fortunately for us, sustainability sits firmly within one of our core purposes, which is to be a force for good. So it's, it's 
been quite a comfortable message to be getting across to the leadership team that one of the things we want to do as a business is be a force for good, so this is just part of it. Um, it doesn't necessarily find you the extra £3,000, but you may be able to find that through energy efficiency. It just, yeah, set, selling the positives of why it's mm. the right thing to do. Mm. It might not entirely answer your question as well, but when it comes to looking at kind of electricity versus gas as well, there's obviously a de-risking when it comes to moving to electricity versus gas, given where we are from a kind of global perspective at the moment too. So I think there's... I think there's other reasons why moving towards a kind of more decarbonized electric kind of electric and more electric electric based supply is actually a more um, a stronger basis for your energy supply than otherwise I worked with um, uh, local furniture manufacturers in Southfields and we worked on the utilities and we looked at the long-term cost saving um, which initially obviously was a little bit higher up, up front but over the long term they've managed to save money and so much so now they're, they're, um, they've got about uh, 15 or 20 solar panels on the top of their building in Southfields and they're now running their whole business on, on solar panels so they had the upfront costs and then the long term allowed them to, to save money and, and install the solar panels. Um, Hattie, I'd imagine Wimbledon gets through quite a lot of tennis balls. Mm. I was just wondering how sustainable they are. Very good question. <laughs> uh, we do get through a lot of tennis balls. The tennis balls used during the championships, uh, they're used for a small number of games, and then uh, there's a ball resale kiosk. So one of the kind of nice things about coming to Wimbledon is that you can then go and buy yourself a can of balls. I think it's a pound a ball or... Yeah, a pound a ball, and they've been used during the championship, so you take them away again. The, the bigger question is the challenge of tennis balls. Uh, and it, year round, uh, we um, donate a lot of tennis balls to local schools. So we have something called the Wimbledon Junior Tennis Initiative, where we go and take ten tennis coaches into schools, and so we donate balls there. Um, the, our community tennis centre at Rains Park and sports ground at Roehampton also use a lot of balls, so we will donate a lot. But that ball has got the felt, the rubber. Uh, I'm actually in the process of talking to a company that may be able to do something with the rubber from the tennis balls. I mean, there are lots of things which are that, that sort of hard to deal, hard to manage product uh, and tennis balls is one of them so we will get them as long a life as they possibly can have but now actively looking at what we can do about getting them back so we can so they can be recycled and working together with the LTA as well this might sound a bit mad but we're actually speaking to a very small business that's looking to use I think some of your tennis balls yeah. and turn them into acoustic, acoustic panels handling, within yeah. um, our yeah. co-working ah. space and we're yeah. trying to see whether we can use those when we set up Huddle in Wimbledon, because yeah. obviously it's a nice Wimbledon piece and it's reusing yeah, tennis balls. definitely, so that's a brilliant idea. We have actually looked at that for, for our broadcast building okay. as well, so yeah, happy to get you some balls. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've probably got plenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just uh, a quickie really. Um, as we start to tell our most excellent sustainability stories, and as we also live on a very scrutinised online environment, how do we avoid greenwashing and box ticking? <laughs> Thank you.
very much, Richard. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's about building up the evidence and, and long-term having an accreditation and having an outside body look back into what you're doing. And not, it's not just you saying it. Someone else has testified that what you're doing is, is, is fitting criteria. So it's, it's about collating your evidence and um, having somebody else look at what you're doing, such as yourselves or any other accreditation body. Yeah, I think transparency. So mm. uh, I think... It, Every sustainability person's nightmare is being accused of greenwashing yeah. because you really do sort of believe it and you're so passionate about it. I think, you know, you need to... So we track and report our emissions footprint on our website. We have to put it in the annual report. So we're tracking our data. I hope we're not over-claiming. Um, I think, you know, I wouldn't... From our point of view, I wouldn't sit here and say, we've done it, we've cracked it, we absolutely haven't. There's such a long way to go for everybody. But I, I think there's also something where, where you can... Fear of being accused of greenwash stops you from talking about the progress that you are making. And mm. it is really important that you do talk about it. You know, this is, so, this is such a challenge for everyone that you do have to get out there and say, you know, this is important, we're not there yet, these are the steps we're taking. So I think don't be too afraid to say some of the things you're doing. Um, and then, yeah, if you can document, here's, here's, here's our emissions trajectory. Um, it's a work in progress, right? So yeah. you can't do everything. So there are things yeah. you're planning to do. And there's certainly things you can't do. I mean, if you're renting a, build, renting a building and you need some electric charging mm -hmm. points, you can't actually make that decision. So it may be something you want to do, but you mm -hmm. can't do it just yet, or, yeah. or not at all. You might not be able to put solar panels on your building. So... It's about sort of saying what you're doing yeah. and being honest and open with what you can't do as well. I think the only other thing I'd add as well is, you know, you want to chat, you, rather than... You want to fundamentally make these objectives part of the decision-making processes that you go through, right? So it's not just something that's done on the side, but actually it's a fundamental criteria in the decisions you make as a business, whether it's the large strategic ones or the small day-to-day -day ones. And I think that helps you make sure that it actually is something that's considered as part of every decision, not something that you retrospectively apply to things you did afterwards. Um, what advice would you give to businesses who want to get started? You know, it's such a complex um, landscape with you know, carbon and legislation coming, coming and tender requirements. Um, I imagine there's people in this room who know they need to do something but just don't know where to start. What advice would you give to them? Chat to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's, it's about taking a look at all the things you're doing. I mean, maybe educate yourself with some training or uh, a webinar or something or talk to um, various people in your industry and find out what they're doing um, and make, um, make a start on brainstorming all these things. And actually, when you start that, you realise you're doing much, much more than, than you thought. And then you get really fired up about it, really excited. So the, the first thing is to just get started and start having a look about what you're doing and what other people are doing as well. And ask the people that you work with as well, because mm. you may have within your organisation some really in, informed, engaged, passionate people there already. Can be your champions. Yeah. To some extent, I think the hardest thing is actually just actually making that first step. And yeah. even if you don't get it perfectly right the first time, I think there's a quite a strong argument to say at least you're at least you're trying to do something. And actually, mm. if, if, the, if that biggest hurdle is just starting, yeah. I think just making that first step, even if it's a small step, is a lot better than being paralysed by trying to decide which bit you're trying to do first. Yeah. Hi. So I just want to quickly ask a broader question. Um, in terms of the skills of people working at Romulus and your, for your experience, the supply chain of skilled technicians, 
urban workers as such. There seems to be a real lag with that. How are you finding it at the moment? Um, so, so I, mean, I would say that in terms of the supply chain, that if we don't set certain things that we require from them, often it's difficult. It, often they don't then deliver on those things. I say actually also it varies a lot based on the type of supplier. So you have some suppliers who are very sophisticated, who are much more advanced when it comes to doing some of these green initiatives. They tend to be the larger, kind of more multinational companies, whereas smaller, more local suppliers haven't thought about it. But I think actually, bizarrely, if you can set those criteria in place and can work, you know, we work with local suppliers we've worked with for decades, right? And if we can help them make those steps, there's an argument that that's actually better than switching to a global supplier who can tick the boxes, but fundamentally is working with a global supply chain, which fundamentally is probably less, or sorry, more carbon intensive than working with those local suppliers. So I think a really important step is actually, actually I think part of what is important for kind of medium and large businesses to, to do is to help their suppliers that they've worked with for years to make those improvements so they can continue to be suppliers for, for the years to come in a more sustainable way. Um, I think it's actually a really interesting question and important thing to consider. From a small business perspective, a lot of my clients are finding they're struggling because the supply chain is coming down to them and asking them questions, even as a solopreneur. They need to go right back to the source in their whole supply chain. And so if they're procuring services from a small business, they want to know how they're running their business sustainably. So it's coming back down the other way as well. So it's really important to start your journey, especially if you're, you're working with a supply chain. Like nothing to add. Totally agree. You know, ask ask your ask your suppliers, and you yep. might you might be surprised by the answers. Hi there, I'm Joyce. Um, so I run a digital marketing agency, and um, I work with teams remotely, locally, and across the UK. So I find it very convenient actually to use co-working spaces. Um, just because it, well, it is very convenient. But I'm interested to hear from your perspective, how sustainable do you think? And we all know co-working spaces are all of the, they're, they're becoming a trend now, um, and they're affordable as well. But I really want to know from your point of view, from the panel's point of view, um, how sustainable are they really, co-working spaces? I mean, from, from, from my perspective, I think it very much depends, right? Mm -hmm. So. If you're traveling every day to the center of London and back again, it's, it, you know, it's not the most sustainable. It depends how you travel. I think a big part, though, of what at least we're trying to do with when we bring Huddle to Wimbledon is to try and create a space that you know, we're not trying to attract people from across London to come and work in Wimbledon. Yeah. We're trying to attract people who live in Wimbledon mm -hmm. to work locally in Wimbledon rather than travel to a large corporate office in the center of town. And so I don't think, I think it's difficult to say one, the one size fits all, but I do think that there's some really interesting ways of working that are emerging post-COVID as we look into the future with hybrid working and working near home that I think can have some really interesting sustainable impacts and also, you know, frankly, are good ways of working. You know, from a mental health perspective, you're getting out of the house and working with other people, but you're not necessarily traveling across the country or across the city to find a space that's suitable. You can also ask them. They might have a, some sort of sustainability policy. I worked with a client who, who asked their, the person that they were co-working and actually found out that it was a very sustainable building, that they'd done an awful lot to it. So if you're interested in your working somewhere, you can ask them. Yeah. The, the answers, so many answers to sustainability-related questions are, it depends. Yes. Uh, and it's, <laughs> well. really, it's a difficult answer to give, but yeah. it does in terms of how's the building Situation. run. Is it well Location. used? You know, I mean, I would say a full space, 
uh, packed with people rather than everyone sitting individually in their homes with, you know, running all of the heating at home, it's probably better to have the full space, you, you know, used to the max. If there's one person in there, then it isn't. So, you know, get your whole team all into one room and uh, huddle them <laughs> together. Hi, uh, Nick Denning. There is an interesting issue for the sustainability industry as it's building up also has to keep its um, its shop clean. Um, we, we, we've got a contract with a the bank. They have obliged us to engage with a third party to, uh, who are going to audit our sustainability. Um, so we've now moved to another, we've, uh, we've now got a contract with another bank. They're going to do exactly the same with a different firm who are going to extract hundreds of pounds from us to do this. And by the way, neither of them are, are cyber secure. So we we're now realizing we cannot uh, use these, uh, we cannot subscribe to these services because they don't have two-factor authentication. So the game isn't, uh, that uh, uh, stuff has to be done by the industry itself. Thank you. Uh, Diana from Merton Chamber of Commerce. I mean, firstly, I would like to say to the three panellists what inspirational presentations you've given. So thank you very much. And I'm sure Charlotta and Craig will uh, emulate that in a minute. Um, I also run a local charity, an environmental charity called Sustainable Merton. And we're very much about education, awareness and behaviour change. And my question to you is the behaviour change within your teams, because obviously some of you are employing large numbers of people. So what are your views on how we change the attitudes and behaviours of our staff teams? Um, I think communicate, communicate, communicate. And that's a lesson I'm learning that I know I need to do more of. I think, you know, on arriving at Wimbledon, we sort of got going, launched the strategy, communicated it a lot. Uh, and, and I think that had a real impact and people are really on board with it. I think unless you are in people's faces on a more regular basis, the momentum does slide a bit. So I think keep put people on board with regular drumbeat of comms of some form and you have to refresh it. It has to be a bit different. It can't be the same thing again. Um, so... I was just going to add, I think, so I completely agree with that, just, just, the, just the point that I think the other thing is also to reward your employees based on if they do those behaviours yeah, or not. So, you know, building into your review processes, 360 feedback, that, you know, this is part of what the, the expectation of your job is, right? If you fundamentally want people to do it, it's part of their job role and they need yeah. to be rewarded for that. I mean, I don't work in an office, but I work with people in, in forums where there are champions and I work with clients who have actually designated sustainability to a member of staff they've become the champions they've talked to people within this within the business and they've driven it top down bottom up so it's about getting everybody invested in it and and giving somebody that to champion the business and and, and let them give you ideas that you might not have thought of okay um i'm suzanne i'm from climate hub wandsworth which was a pop-up uh, in Southside last year uh I'd like to uh, talk about money. Um, none of this happens without it. So um, if you are starting a company and an ethical one, uh, if you're looking for funding uh, from a sponsor, uh, would you prefer to have a green investor, a small one, or somebody bigger and more, more structured who would like to develop their own green credentials through, your, through funding your business? It's a sort of dilemma about who to choose as your funder. 
I think there's an it depends one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it depends who, who, who is the fund and what have you. For me, it would be about the, the, per, the, the company or the funding uh, uh, source that was aligned and akin to my values and what they stood for and whether they, uh, whether they were aligned with me and what their long-term goals were. So I'd probably do a lot of research and, and have a look and see what they were offering um, and whether that fitted with what I was doing as well, personally. Yeah. Okay, I think it's been great to have so much interest from all of you asking questions. If we just end, because I know we're coming up to time, with the final bit of advice that each one of you would want to relay, the one thing, the most important thing, if you just, the final thing to say to the audience as they think about being more sustainable, what would you say? Uh, for me as a small business owner, I would say go away and start now. Start, start researching what you're doing. So start now. Start, try and make some differences now if you possibly can. That would be my top tip. Yeah. I'd say get started, but seeing as you've said that, I think be, be authentic. <laughs> mean it. Yeah, I, I'd agree with both of those. I think the other one I'd add, which just to echo again, is the, the interest and importance of kind of building those kind of local networks and connections mm -hmm. to try and do things. Super. Right. Um, oh, yeah. oh. Yes, sir. Hello, I'm, I'm Shaquille from WSM. We're a firm of accountants based in Wimbledon. Uh, I'm here by default. I replaced a fellow director who was supposed to be here today. And by just coming here, you've opened my eyes, you know, because I've never thought about, seriously thought about these issues. And thank you, you've opened my eyes. And that's it for this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. I hope it's inspired you to be more womble with your business. Our thanks to all the speakers, the All England Lawn Tennis Club for hosting us, and to the audience who attended and asked such inspiring questions. Our thanks also to you for listening. For more information on future events, then please visit our websites, lovewimbledon.org and merchantchamber.co.uk, and please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Feel free to give us a review too, as it helps more people to find us. Thanks again for listening and join us again soon for another edition of the Business Masterclass podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>